You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 119 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you on April 16th, 2013. I just remembered I have to call my sister and wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> As Seriously, usual, that I'm needed to be Vince. in here. <laughs> Does she even listen to the podcast? Not even remotely. I just remembered because I had to read the date out loud. <laughs> and it was worth putting in the podcast. Awesome. And you and call you can me edit it out a bad like. host. I mean, wow. No, any opportunity to make you look bad when it's at your own hand, go for it. How does that make me look bad? <laughs> like they care. <laughs> Listen, it's just a train of thought, you know. I put myself yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, I don't yeah, hide yeah. anything from our wonderful listeners. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm nuts. <laughs> How you doing, Raj? Oh, I'm, I'm much better now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we get into our discussion this week, uh, just a couple hours ago, uh, the Eisner Award nominees for 2013 were announced. So I thought we would run through a, uh, a few of the, the categories, not, not necessarily going through everything, because as is true in most years, I haven't heard of most of these comics. You know what? There's There's been a couple of years where we were on the ball and like we were when up to... Uh, <laughs> It, I'm not saying it was last year or, you know, but there's a few we years back. We haven't been back. doing this that yeah, No, I know. But it's just last year was so out of left field and this year is damn near the same thing. Well, at least in the main categories, there's a lot of recognizable names. So we're actually going to start off uh, by jumping into Best Continuing Series. We have from Image Comics, Fatal, uh, Edward Brubaker and Sean Phillips. From Marvel, Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aja. Uh, also from Image Comics, Manhattan Projects by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Patara. Everything's from Image. Let's just put it that way. Damn Profit near. by Brandon Graham and C- Simon Roy. And Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. <laughs> That's a really interesting <laughs> lineup. And we're, we're gonna actually going to double back around to that. But before we uh, discuss further... The best new series, uh, this is, of course, the uh, category that's famous for being left out last year. And it's just as weird this year, even though it's back in, because our nominees are the Adventure Time comic, which is a kid's <laughs> comic book. So, I mean, great that got nominated. Bandette, which is a digital exclusive comic from Monkey Brain. It's only distributed through Comixology. And then we have Fatal, Hawkeye, and Saga which were also nominated for Best Continuing Series. And we've always seen a lot of weirdness from the Eisner nominations. And having three comics nominated for both Best New Series and Best Continuing Series, that really strikes me as odd. It's, it doesn't make sense. I mean, there, it's, it should be, if, there, if it's a new series, then it should be in the new series and slap in the stuff that has been around longer in the continuing series. That's, that's what makes sense to me. And just I, when you're keeping in mind the nominations, the one thing to remember is they don't just pick from whatever they want. They uh, The publishers send their own selections to the Eisner committee and then the Eisner committee picks from there. So if your favorite comic isn't listed, either A, it was snubbed or B, maybe your publisher didn't uh, submit it. So I like we had a lot of that weirdness last year when everybody's talking about, oh, the best new comics, you know, there's all these great new comics. And a lot of people's favorite new comics actually weren't even set up for nomination from their publishers. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, because you can tell looking at this, this is, I mean, did, wh- how many did Marvel send over? Two? <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> there's next to nothing here from Marvel or DC. Is Hell, is there even anything from DC? Uh, a little bit, and we're going to check, we're going to come around to that. Actually, I'm looking through it because I had, I looked through the list and I did mm-hmm. not notice anything yeah. from DC. You, you got to get way deep into the art categories for any non-Vertigo DC things to show up. Wow. Okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then now, in all, in all honesty, there's very little from DC that would be worth showing up in the first place. All right, so uh, we're going to jump ahead here into a lot of the uh, we actually the best digital comics, and uh, this is some you know something that uh, you know we are always interested in seeing. And personally, I haven't read any of these. We have Ant Comic, Bandet, It Will All Hurt, Our Bloodstained Roof, and Oyster War. I mean, I'm at least familiar with Bandet, but I haven't read any of these. Not a one. I will now. Oh, yeah. Like I said, this is our favorite time of the year because we get exposed to a lot of things we'd never heard of before. And you know, it's funny because we do actually read a lot of things. I know I do. A lot of things that are not from the big two. I enjoy reading that stuff. I really do. And, And so, like... That's why I'm surprised by just how little of these I'm like, what the, where did this come from? <laughs> where has this been hiding? Mm-hmm. All right. As for the individual awards, we have our best writers this year are Ed Brubaker for Fatal, Matt Fraction for Hawkeye and Casanova Avatarita, Brandon Graham for Multiple Warheads and Profit, Jonathan Hickman for Manhattan Projects, Brian K. Vaughn for Saga, and Frank M. Young for The Carter Family. The only one of those I'm not familiar with is Young. And I think it's pretty interesting that uh, Fraction and Hickman, none of their Marvel stuff aside from Hawkeye is listed here. So it shows that as fantastic as Hickman's Fantastic Four stuff was, Marvel didn't even submit it for nomination. Yeah, which is just wrong. Yeah, so weird, weird, weird stuff. I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of any reason why a publisher wouldn't submit a comic for consideration. Honestly, I, I, I don't either. I don't know why. No, I don't. I can see how if you are one of the smaller publishers, then you are really going to make certain to send in your your comics so that like any more publicity that you can get, the, the, the better it is for I, you. I think that's why we see so many of the smaller companies. I mean, I'm including Image in that, but I mean, Image is pretty hey, much good a sh- for them too, at yeah. this point. Yeah, I think that's why. Because look, Fantagraphics actually was the leading publisher in nominations. I don't read anything from Fantagraphics, yeah, but I'm quite certain they sent in everything. Yeah, and it it's working out for them. Yeah. All right, best writer artist. Uh, we have Charles Burns for The Hive, Gilbert Hernandez for Love and Rockets New Stories, Jamie Hernandez for Love and Rockets New Stories, Luke Pearson for Hilda and the Moon- Midnight Giant, as well as Everything We Miss, C. Tyler for You'll Never Know, and Chris Ware for Building Stories. No clue. <laughs> I, I've never heard of any of those. Uh, neither have I. Neither All right. Now we have a category that was uh, definitely some contention for us uh, when we were chatting about this earlier. Best penciler slash yeah, ink. We had contention way before this. When you, we were talking you didn't about bring it writers. up, so I moved past it. I'm just being quiet because I thought you <laughs> wanted to go through everything. And then normally I interrupt, I get shit. Damn it. All right. We have David Aja for Hawkeye, Becky Cloonan for Conan the Barbarian and The Muse, Colleen Coover for Bandette, Sean Phillips for Fatal, Joseph Remnant. Remnant? Yeah, okay. Harvey Picard's Cleveland and Chris Samney for Daredevil and Rocketeer Cargo of Doom. Come on. Now, what's 
<laughs> yeah. What no. I'm noticing, though, about this category is it's not best penciler. It's best penciler slash inker. Everybody nominated here both does their own pencils and inks. In previous years, this category has been best penciler slash inker or best penciler slash inker team. So, uh, again, they're kind of messing with the categories here. So we're, we're not seeing some nominees that both of us feel should be involved here because uh, of the way they're actually categorizing it. So somebody who can do fantastic artwork but doesn't do their, their own inking isn't even up for consideration this year. And that's wrong. I mean, that's wrong. These guys deserve just as much recognition as the writer does or these guys that do it both. I mean, it's just not fair to these guys at all. And, mm-hmm. I mean... We, I really enjoy David Aja's work, really, a lot, but I don't feel that it's deserving of being nominated as a best when we look at some of the artists that we've seen over the course of this year. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus. And, uh, and same thing with the Fatal, Sean Phillips. I mean, nothing against his, his artwork. It, it was good, but I don't think it was good enough to be the best for the year. I'm uh, not going to speak to that. Yeah. yeah, and then the same thing with the, the, the Daredevil. Well, that one, I'm really not that fond of his style so that's um, i can't say anything but uh but no i'm really uh, same as with the writers Ah. (laughs) and then just a couple other categories here uh best cover artist we have david aja for hawkeye and that's absolutely deserved i loved i love his his covers uh brandon graham for king city multiple warheads and elephant men sean phillips for fatal uh yuko shimuzu for the unwritten and jh williams iii for batwoman which is one of our only dc nominees and yeah williams covers for batwoman are fantastic yeah yeah. again we've seen a a ton that were phenomenal from marvel Mm -hmm. and dc that should be on that list Mm mm-hmm and then best coloring, we have Charles Burns for The Hive, Colleen Coover for Bandette, Brandon Graham for Multiple Warheads, Dave Stewart for everything, including Batwoman, and uh, Chris Ware for Building Stories. So there are your two DC nominees, both for Batwoman. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that says a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, again, I, there's, I would really like to know which comics were actually submitted for consideration because there's definitely holes in this list that, you know, we would like to see filled. Like you, I know you have your issues with saga. I mean, I feel it's at least deserving as a best new series. I wouldn't put up there for best continuing series, especially at this point. It's only had 12 issues come out. I don't think it's in my, in my eyes, it's not even worth being nominated. None of them are worth not being nominated in both categories. It's kind of an either or thing for me. So uh, there's, there's just, I don't know. The, the The categories are really weird, and the, I think we're at the point where the Eisner nominations have become such an odd situation just because of the nominations. It's not even so much about who wins anymore. It's about kind of how, how where did you find a home in this weird list? Yeah. See, the the thing with uh, the, the, the main nominees we're looking at are Fatal and Hawkeye um, and Saga, and then with Hawkeye as well. Um, and I've, I've kind of said what I think about Fatal. I, I can appreciate the writing that's in it and all that, but I really don't think it's deserving of a best new series. I, and, I agree. Um, Hawkeye's... And I, and I liked Fatal. Yeah. Like, Hawkeye's been fantastic. Yeah, Hawkeye, absolutely. Sure. But even then, I think there's been stronger, but fine, it, it can go in I, there. I'd say it's at least worth nomination. Yeah. Um, Manhattan Projects, yes, definitely. 
definitely belongs in there. I think it's it's original, it's well conceived, well written, uh, and the art is great too. So yeah, fine. Profit, I read some of them. I I haven't read all of Profit, but I really liked what I did read. So yeah, but Saga, you know what? I'm gonna be one of the few that is going against the grain here because I know that a lot of people like it, and that's fine with them. But for me, it strikes me so much as shock value for the sake of shock value and nothing else. And so it's the, like I said, it's the Howard Stern of comics. And that's what it comes across as. And looking at issue 12, which I read, and it's like (laughs) they made such a big deal about it. And just, I don't want to say justifiably, sorry. It's, it is a big deal in that it's, (laughs) this is not just like, oh, there's a sex scene. No, 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 no. (laughs) This is graphic. Okay. It's very graphic and not just, oh, it's a gay scene. I don't care if it was a woman that was there. It would be just as graphic, but you're thinking, why is it there? What was the point? And, and like, if there was a point fine, but there is none. What was the point of putting those two images on his face, you know, like <laughs> I got nothing for you. There. I mean, more ways than one. Um, and so it's it's just shock value for the sake of shock value. Let's put this gay hardcore sex scenes two images, and it'll cause a stir, and we'll sell more issues. There's no reason in the story to have it, and so much of what has been going on in that series is just that. And I can't be that easily bought off with shock. No, I want there to be a reason for it. And there's none. I still love it. So Yeah, see, that's why. Best new series, best continuing, and best writer. Sorry, I do not feel that it is warranted for him at all. At all, at all, at all. I, I, I would I would at least put it up for best new series. I wouldn't put it up for best continuing, just like I said, because of those reasons. And best writer, I... I'm on the fence about. Like, I, I think there are definitely some better nominees that were out there, oh, at least in my eyes. Again, yeah. they might not have been submitted. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing, too. And it's one of those things where we see this with so many awards, not just the Eisner's. We see it with the Oscars. We see it with the Emmys. Once you win awards, which he has for uh, Ex Machina and uh, Why the Last Man, you kind of get to the point where they just nominate you on principle. If they see your name up there, you're nominated. Oh, well, that's that's what's making this popular as well as his name. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, it can't just be because of the series. Because the series is not that, I'm sorry, I don't think it's that good. And it is all just about shocking your audience. Not about giving them a good story with good writing. It's about shocking them. And to me, that's not worth an award. Mm. Well, while I and many other people would disagree with you there, you're yeah. perfectly valid to have your own opinion on the subject. I, I would never try to dissuade you from that. Speaking of shock value, <laughs> the actual comic we're talking about today is Injustice, Gods Among Us from DC. And this is the comic prequel tie-in, not exactly sure whatever they're doing here, with the new video game that just came out today. Uh, it's a fighting game from NetherRealm Studios, the guys responsible for Mortal Kombat. So they put out this digital comic series uh, every week. It's actually come out every Tuesday at 99 cents an issue. And then uh, every three issues, they actually publish it as you know a print comic. And I, I actually really like that uh, publishing strategy that DC is using, not just for this, but for their other uh, digital stuff. Yeah, it gets a little expensive, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you can't well, bitch too much for 99 cents. But again, 99 cents, considering how much you're getting, is important to note, too. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, they really just had to come up with a reason for why Superman and, you know, Batman would be punching each other in the face in a comic book. Uh, the actual comic is written by Tom Taylor, and I'm not even going to begin to list the artists because I lost count after the first dozen. Uh, there are, I think, three or four different pencilers, multiple colorists. It, let's face it, when the comic's coming out every week, you're going to have multiple art teams. Um, before we actually get into the story, though, we have to talk about the costumes. <laughs> and when this game was first announced, I remember we were back on our old gaming podcast uh, for the lore. And the only thing any of us could talk about was how god awful these costumes were. And they look even worse in a comic than they do in a video game. Yeah. Although, you know, what's funny is that I didn't pick up the game, but I picked up the the iOS version of the game because it was free. So you can get it for the iPad for free. And then it's, of course, microtransactions from there if you want to unlock, you know, being able to play more, whatever kind of thing. Um, so the skins notwithstanding, in ter- or the outfits, I should say, the um, it looks slick as hell when you're actually playing it. Mm-hmm. So obviously the costumes still work when in that, you know, in the game kind of thing, it works. It's just when you're looking at it in the comic... <laughs> it's a little mm-hmm. bizarre. Like, I can understand the reasoning of, okay, if Batman is about to fight Superman, he's probably going to be wearing armor. <laughs> but uh, two things. One, the armor is just ugly to begin with. And second of all, in the comic, he's wearing it just regularly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then, like, why would Superman need, you know, an armored suit to begin with? He's he's Superman. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing I found hilarious about this this is probably one of the best costume designs I've ever seen for Wonder Woman. <laughs> now, the way some of the artists interpret it is, you know, a little over-sexualized with the, with the cleavage and everything. But the actual costume design itself with pants, I really liked it. <laughs> pants is good on her. <laughs> but then, of course, that's balanced out by the fact that Harley Quinn is basically wearing a t-shirt and underwear. Yes. Which Skimpy I don't underwear. think is going to offer much protection when she gets punched by Superman. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> All right, well, as for the actual comic itself, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because we could always have so much fun talking about just awful comics. Like, just put every pretense of trying to defend any aspect of it aside and just look at all the ridiculous crap that goes on in it and just have a blast making fun of it. And I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but I actually didn't completely hate this. And in some points, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I think enjoyed it is going a little far for me. <laughs> There's parts that were like a little funny, but there were so many, oh, come on. Yes. Moments that it kind of like, I I went into this with my brain firmly set aside. I knew I would not be needing it. And uh, and so, I mean, it's not, it's not absolutely terrible, but I don't know. It's just... There's so much, again, so much. Where does he get a nuke? Where does the Joker yeah, get yeah, a yeah, nuke? We're, we're getting to that. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> but I mean, this actually kind of makes me wonder. I, I, I have no experience with Tom Taylor as a writer, but I'm actually kind of curious now what he could do outside of this crappy video game storyline setting. Because there are points in this where I realize he's like, okay, I wrote your stupid story that you wanted me to write. I've fulfilled my contract obligations. Now I'm just going to have fun with some of the other side stuff. Because at the beginning of the story, we see that uh, 
Superman discovers that Lois Lane is pregnant. So clearly this is not even remotely in New 52 continuity. And I actually liked the scenes with Superman and Lois. I really liked the scenes with uh, Superman and Batman, too, when he you know, asked Bruce to become the godfather. Like there, I wouldn't say it was great, but there was some good character work there. See, I saw a lot of what we saw in the um, – ah, what's the one way Alex Ross there? Um, Kingdom Come. Oh, yeah. yeah. This so is by you, no means an original story concept. Yeah, so you're seeing a lot of things that we saw there kind of thing. And then there's a lot of concepts as you're, you're reading through on this that were – that made me think very much of DC Universe online because mm-hmm. the story that happens there kind of thing. So you got a lot of things that were, were very – obviously borrowed kind of thing. Um, but I mean, in some cases it works and it's, it's not bad. And I, and I like that it's Metropolis that's getting attacked and, mm-hmm. and Superman, not Batman. I like that it's someone different going after. So there, there were still some, I don't want to say original, but some, some concepts that he used twisting things around a little bit that made it work far better than mm-hmm. being as cliched as it could have been. Mm-hmm. To make a long story short, basically the Joker shows up in Metropolis, uh, shoots and kills Jimmy Olsen, and then kidnaps Lois Lane. So I mean, just killing Jimmy in and of itself would have been like pretty significant. But he kidnaps Lois, and of course that sets you know Superman on edge. He goes, you know, finds the Joker, rescues Lois, and at this point we find out that there's some uh, a Scarecrow's fear toxin in the in the air, which we later find out has actually been laced with kryptonite so that it can infect Superman. So he sees a vision of Doomsday, you know, his greatest threat. So he grabs Doomsday, takes off into space to, to take care of business. Well, of course, we come to find out that it's not actually Doomsday, it's Lois. So Clark actually kills his own wife and unborn child. This is where we're getting into the, wow, this is a pretty uh, deep, dark, dark story yeah. hole we're going down here. But Which as, I liked. As, as if this weren't enough, somehow the Joker manages to steal a nuclear-armed <laughs> submarine. Now... I'm willing to go to a lot of lengths for accepting, you know, what certain villains can and can't do. And I'm willing to accept that the Joker can do some pretty crazy stuff. Stealing a submarine with a nuclear (laughs) missile on board is a little out of his pay grade. And somehow firing it. Yes. He manages to wire the warhead of the nuclear missile to a detonator in Lois's chest so that once she dies, the bomb detonates. So not only does Superman kill his wife, kill his unborn child, in a lot of ways, he also is responsible for the complete and total destruction of all of Metropolis. Wow. (laughs) See, that's where it was. It was like, I'm willing to suspend disbelief and I'm really, I'm willing to let you get away with a lot. But all of a sudden, (laughs) Joker's like a physicist or something. He's studied nukes. He knows how to... This this story without the whole missile thing would have been... Uh, way better right (laughs) but that that, putting that on top of it is just like you're you've reached trying too hard (laughs) oh yeah it was yeah it was that was the biggest point of contention for me and because it's so early on you're like oh god so it was kind of a little bit harder to enjoy the rest Mm -hmm. now of course uh this doesn't work out terribly well for Joker, despite the fact that he's in custody with Batman. It's not going to stop a very angry Superman from flying through the building and literally putting his fist through Joker's chest. That was awesome. 
Not going to lie. Yeah. That, that, that's some stuff we would have seen from Invincible. See, the, yeah, exactly. This is one of the things that, where as I'm reading it, um, I liked how dark it was at points. I really liked that a lot. I would like to see more of that. I don't care if it's in the main continuity. Create your freaking mini series that are complete offshoots in another parallel world, whatever you want to call it, but make it more realistic and dark and all that. You will sell copies like mad. So I, I really kind of enjoyed that. I, I, I thought it was, had they made it even just a little bit more graphic even and and darker because you can sure go a lot darker with when you got Batman, seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I was enjoying that. Like this leads to like some great scenes later on. I'm kind of skipping ahead in the story where Superman actually confronts Batman. He's like, dude, what the hell? Basically, what the hell? This is your fault. <laughs> you could have you could have done this years ago. Why haven't you stopped the Joker? You knew eventually it would escalate to something of this level. And you know, that's stuff that, you know, comic fans have been asking forever. You know, why hasn't Batman put a more permanent stop to this? His, you know, his promises and his his ethics be damned. Like eventually, you know, the a, a certain amount of this blood is on Batman's hands. Yep. No, yeah. No, I I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I love how Superman even like he accuses him of like, you actually liked the game you played. Yes. You're, oh. you're angry at me for taking the Joker away from you. Yeah. Those moments. <laughs> Again, for all the, the really ridiculous moments that I wasn't really digging, there were those few moments like that where it's like, oh, I knew that's how he felt. <laughs> Been waiting for years for him to say something like that. <laughs> all right. And, uh, one brief little side story here is, you know, after Joker's dead, of course, Harley Quinn is going to be the next target. So they kind of put her into protective custody and have the green arrow take her away. And it was goofy. It was ridiculous. It was frequently stupid, but it was also kind of a fun little story with the two of them. Yeah. It's, it's some gags we've seen in Hawkeye with, you know, Harley making fun of his trick arrows, but the two of those characters together, I, I actually enjoy that. And I hope, you know, I'm actually kind of going to read a couple more issues of this if we can see more of those two. <laughs> yeah, the two of them are a good foil against each other kind of thing for, because it's not like the Green Arrow is really that... What's the word I'm looking interesting. for? Well, not just interesting, but he's a goofball as well to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So to be called out on that by <laughs> freaking Harley? <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. <laughs> like the Arrow Cave? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> The Bat Cave, I get, but the Arrow Cave. What was the suggestion she made? Where he's like, "That's actually the Quiver." Good. Yes, the Quiver. <laughs> yeah. So now that all this terrible stuff has happened, you know, Superman has finally made the decision we've seen in many other stories: Kingdom Come, any number of other Superman alternate reality stories, even stuff like uh, was it uh, Irredeemable from Mark Wade or uh, Squadron Supreme with Plutoni or, or uh, with uh, Hyperion. This is definitely a character arc we've seen many times before of the strongest you know, being on Earth decides he's just going to take over. He is now the, uh, the judge, jury, and executioner for anyone and everyone. He has decided that any violence against people needs to stop point blank. And we see, you know, he gets involved in a, uh, I don't even call it a war, but, you know, a, a pretty bad government is, you know, attacking their own people just for being there. And we get to the point where now, now Wonder Woman is coming into the story of really supporting this course of action. Again, this is another thing I liked where I liked Wonder Woman's role in the story. Well, it made sense. Of, yeah, of kind of his advisor in this whole thing because 
as we see later on, that's kind of what she wants. You know, she she has always, you know, been moving towards peace. You know, that was her her end goal. But she's come to the realization as a warrior that, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. You have to fight for your peace. And we actually had a fun scene where Ares shows up. And of course, the, the, the Greek god of war. And he's like, well, I can't have that. <laughs> you know, if there is no war, what am I to do? And it was a cool interaction between the two of them. Yeah. I really, again, that's where I, I was more impressed with his writing when uh, Wonder Woman came into play. Because at no point during any of that did I think that's not how she would act kind of thing. It was spot on. It was really good because it, it was the character that is um, allowing herself to fall back on that that warrior mentality kind of thing and to be so all right with this even mm. though like a rational person like batman and that's a stretch there is like no this can't be the way it is but she's like no this is it makes sense boom but she's always been that outsider as well just like superman so it's mm-hmm. again it made sense so we have actually an interesting part here where you know superman is interfering with anybody and everyone including the u.s government so uh they send you know, a, a contingency plan into effect to actually kidnap the Kents and hold them hostage. And I thought it was pretty cool that they actually used the Mirror Master here just for, you know, the extraction purposes. And I, I love that when he was talking about the whole thing with the Joker, Mirror Master actually says, that was some pretty dark stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to wonder if that was, again, Taylor Tate making some sort of commentary on, you know, the story he was in some way being forced to write. <laughs> I, don't, it, I just really loved that line. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder how much of it was already mapped out for him. Mm-hmm. Or how much freedom he had in creating the story. So, because the it's obvious when you are looking at the game kind of thing that they they had to do certain things specifically because it is having to do exactly with the game so I'm not quite certain how much freedom he had with it. Mhm. Oh, and going back to the whole Batman thing, another line that I absolutely loved was uh, you know, when he's leaving the Batcave and Alfred's walking by. He's like, "Oh, would you, you know, would you like some sandwiches, um, Master Kent?" And he's like, "You don't have to call me master." And Alfred's response is, "Good. Let's remember that." Yeah. Alfred always Great has the moment. perfect line. It, yes. we, we love Alfred, and that was <laughs> that was a nice little jab for him to get in. Yeah. But then, then we get to the point where, again, the story goes from you know kind of interesting character stuff to, okay, we have to set up another specific plot point for the purpose of the video game, and that's Aquaman showing up. Because I mean, it's just any absence of you know rational motivation he's like okay you know fighting the whalers you know they stop killing the whales leads immediately to full scale invasion of the surface like it was it it was such a a weird story beat but then once that specific requirement of the story was met then you got into some interesting character stuff again of you know aquaman knowing what it means to be a a good ruler of the people and you know wanting to you know help superman in that direction, if that's how he chooses to go. Well, he and didn't then have a choice. And hiding that information from him. So, well, he didn't have a choice. Freaking Superman pretty much made it clear you're, you're going to toe the line, or <laughs> that's it. For, I, I, I will admit, put it Atlantis awesome in the desert. They took Atlantis <laughs> from the bottom of the ocean and dumped it in the Sahara. So, yeah, no, all that was was a, him being a good king and knowing when to bow down mm-hmm. and to, to save his people. Otherwise, they would have been crispy critters in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> but that that whole sequence, it, it bounced back and forth between kind of stupid and like without reason and then 
great good character stuff. Like I said, this this whole comic has been so schizophrenic. I don't know who to blame and who to praise for certain parts. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it actually ends up. Uh, the first 13 issues were out. Uh, 14 just came out today. So, I mean, each three issues has been its own little story arc. So, 13 was actually the start of a uh, new story arc for, focusing on The Flash. And, again, I really enjoyed this because it's showing The Flash realizing that Superman's point of view is wrong and Batman kind of bringing him around to his side. I, I liked The Flash issue, too. Yeah. the It will be interesting as it goes on to see what's going to happen and who they're going to bring on kind of thing. And then where those heroes are going to fall in line. And they again, it's written in such a way because of the game where it, it is that team mentality of who's going to support what kind of thing so that as you're playing the game, you've got your teams and everything. So it's I, I'm hoping it's not going to be too forced kind of thing and that the, he's going to really continue with the, the main storyline, which is what's important. So you're actually interested to see what more this comic can do. Oh, I am interested. I've, again, I've never hidden my love oh, of oh, DC characters. A week so, ago, would you have had that thought going in? Well, a week ago, I would have read it. I, I still was planning on reading it, um, whether or not I'd be disappointed. I mean, after everything we've seen over the yeah. last couple of years, Compared honestly. Compared to the New 52, this is freaking Shakespeare. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I am not expecting you know, amazing things from them anymore, sadly. So when uh, when this came out, I was interested. And and part of that was because I had been interested in well as well in the story in DC Universe Online uh, because it was something that was so jarringly different kind of thing. And then initially with the New 52, before it actually started, I was interested because of how jarringly different it was supposed to be and things like that. So I kind of was looking forward to seeing what would happen here. And some of it, was was good in terms of that because it 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 was darker than we're used to. It was more graphic. Some of these people died, uh, although that doesn't fit then with the game. How is the Joker supposed to be in the game if Superman put his fist through his spine? Who knows? It's the Joker. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, you ain't recovering from that. <laughs> um. So so it's. I I don't know. I'm interested to see what he's going to be doing with certain aspects of it. Um. And and I think it's because I've also got such like. I don't have any expectations going into this. I know full mm-hmm. well what this is, so I'm kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the actual game itself is concerned, I feel this is where we can uh, add in our weight as you know gaming experts as well as comic experts because there are a lot of you know comic fans out there who just, oh, DC comic book game. I'm going to go out there and check it out. Um, the last Mortal Kombat game, simply titled Mortal Kombat, but it's basically Mortal Kombat 9, the story in the game, especially by fighting game standards, was pretty good. I actually enjoyed the story of the game. I was just really happy I was able to watch the story of the game on YouTube because the game itself plays like crap, in my opinion. And all of NetherRealm's fighting games have always played very poorly, especially by fighting game standards. They're just, in my, in my opinion, they're very slow. They're very clunky. They're not even that fun to play. So if you're going in there for the story, you, you might be pleasantly surprised by what you get. But personally, I wouldn't expect an actually very entertaining gaming experience out of it. Well, I'm not planning on picking up... Um Oh, no, I'm, wait, on, I'm, wait, I'm waiting to YouTube this one, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be picking it up on console. But like I said, I did pick up the iPad app. Um, and there were both some 
some pros and some cons to it. Uh, I actually, like I said, I picked it up yesterday, and it's one of those like like so many of them now. All they see is dollar signs when they think of microtransactions, yeah. so they they give it to you for free. But then you can only play your guy for so long, do so many fights with them, and then each fight mm-hmm. takes up one or two electric bolts they're calling them and then from there you need to buy more they didn't even come up with a good name for them yeah so and then there's other currencies as well that you can you can use to buy things and whatnot so there's a whole bunch of different things that they're trying to sell you that being said though um you start off with three or four i can't remember and then if you sign up for a, a, a warner brothers account for free because it's through them you can uh, you can get a new 52 green lantern so i got that as well and then the app in terms of the design is slick as hell is really really well done to look at everybody's powers to bounce around to look at different things there's the different maps you can look at uh, upgrading their abilities as well and things like that it it even without spending money I played last night, and what I did is I sent the image, uh, the screen video to our big screen. So my son was watching while I was playing kind of thing, and then we were swapping back and forth, each of us taking turns. After a while, it kind of gets a little old because, like any fighter, you're just button mashing. While on a tablet, you're just tapping and sliding your finger all over the place. There's no rhyme or reason to it for the (laughs) most part kind of thing. So it kind of gets a little old, and a lot of the fighting mechanics seem to be very, very similar, at least for the characters that I have. And so far, as far as we've gotten, it's fairly easy, obviously. So I don't know how it's going to be later on and who knows how long I'll be able to stand kind of playing it. But I mean, for a free game to play and the look of it, it was pretty slick actually. Hmm. All right. So I, I still, I, I'm kind of hopeless on this episode. Like there, there, there are, so, I heard so many bad things about injustice, the comic going in and a lot of them were true because like I said, there's, there's a lot of really, you know, face palm moments in here, but I can't believe at the end of the day, not only did I enjoy it, I actually intend to continue reading it. Yeah. Well, again, there is a lot of face palm is not an, that's not an understatement. It is <laughs> holy crap, but there were enough of the other moments that, you know, like the, the conversation between um, Kent and Bruce when they're, when they're talking and he's like mm-hmm. accusing him of liking it and all that kind of stuff. Like there were so many of those that are moments that we've wanted to see for a long time. You know, uh, the fist going through Joker that it, it not only makes up for it, but it makes you want to then keep reading. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving into what we're reading this week, uh, I only have a couple. Uh, uh, Thor, God of Thunder number seven. Of course, I know you don't care, but as everybody knows, I'm a huge Thor fan. I loved this issue. I, this this whole comic has been really good. But in this particular issue, we have you know modern day Thor interacting with future Thor, who has basically become Odin. He, you know, he's the new king of Asgard and, and everything. And the interactions between those two characters were so fun because you, you have old Thor just kind of exasperated with his younger self. And since it's a Jason Aaron comic, there are multiple, multiple references to exquisite beards. <laughs> I just, I, again, I, I know a lot of people out there aren't into Thor, but this is such a good comic for a fan. I, I can't stop enjoying it. 
Yeah, I know. And then uh, Batgirl number 19. Uh, I actually skipped the last couple issues because they were the fill-in issues from uh, Joshua Flykoff. But, you know, issue 19, Gail was back on board after being fired. And there was, you know, there was a lot of press made this week because she introduced, not introduced, but uh, revealed that Barbara's roommate was a transgender. And the way it was handled in the comic was, you know, just boom, that's it. No, no sensationalism. It, it was handled very well. But despite all the press, I'd say it was like the least important thing to happen in this comic. The actual story of the comic, going back into the stuff we enjoyed with Barbara and her mother and her brother and everything that happened there, I loved it. Hmm. I haven't read that one yet, actually. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all I wanted to touch on this week. Really? Wow. That's a short list for you. Well, we've been going for a while. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's all right then. I don't care. I'm going to presume Superior Spider-Man number seven. Did you read it? Yes, I did. I'm trying to remember what happened. Um, <laughs> it's the um, the what's his name again? The 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 villain that's not really a villain that's stealing, stealing medical supplies. Oh yeah, yeah. The, I can't remember his what name, the but yes. His name? <laughs> I can't. Hold on. I'm gonna erase this. Break here. Oh sure, you edit out your screw ups. <laughs> Cardiac. Fine, just for you, mm-hmm. I'll leave it in. I um, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> so. Um, this was interesting because it's cardiac is stealing tech that is, that auto actually created before <laughs> that was locked away, and then you also get more about the um, the the Avengers mm-hmm. who are like, listen, you're going through a full battery of tests, and that's that. And uh, I love how he flips Captain America. <laughs> Captain's like, that wasn't a request. Flip. <laughs> um, so that's. I like where this is going. This is, again, one of the best that Marvel's putting out right now. It's been consistently phenomenal. And I'm really looking forward to the stuff with the Avengers because, as we've seen, Spider-Man is capable of so much more than, you know, he really shows because of Parker's, you know, willingness to hold back. Otto does, is not going to care about holding back against the Avengers, as we saw in the Avenging Spider-Man comic where he just wrecked Wolverine. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, next, I read some all-new X-Men number 10 as well. Did you read that one? Yes. So this is where you're getting the team splitting up a lot more because, of course, they get visited by Scott, and uh, he's trying to recruit more of the uh, the group onto his side kind of thing. It was kind of cliched, obviously, at points and whatnot, but it was... It was kind of interesting. And then you don't realize... Quentin was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You don't realize at the end who is the one that's going with them uh, because there's the big surprise kind of thing of who's going to join. And until you read, I believe, was it in Wolvie and his peeps? No, it was un- Uncanny 4. Was it? Yes, it was. So then that's where you realize that it's um, um, uh, Angel that is mm-hmm. actually the one that's going with them. And that one was really good too. And again freaking art in that why wasn't he nominated for best art of the year because he doesn't do his own inks man and it's sad because he actually does his own colors he just doesn't do the inks yeah Pachalo's work is just some fantastic again in this i absolutely loved it and i really love what we're seeing with emma in uncanny right now because it's it's a whole new emma in a way and so here you're seeing how she still has some of the same personality when she's dealing with the cuckoos. Um, but no, I really, both of these issues were really, really quite good. Enjoyed them a lot. 
as much as I'm enjoying both of those comics, the fact that they're basically telling the same story twice in each issue is really starting to wear, though. Like, we've now seen combined 14 issues, and the actual advancement of the plot, as good as it has been, has kind of been a little short. I haven't minded because it's been e- different enough. I haven't, but I'm kind of reaching it, the we're point, getting where the I, point I, I completely agree. I, I completely agree to that. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's about time that they start doing something a little different kind of thing. And then lastly, uh, did you read uh, Batman 19? Yes. Kind of cool. I'm very curious where he's going with this. <laughs> it was Well, we'll know really quick because it's only a two-issue story. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, you're seeing Bruce in, and it's obviously not Bruce, but Bruce and the Batman uniform. So, <laughs> exposed. So, kind of wondering what's going to come of that kind of thing. I find it kind of weird that uh, Commissioner Gordon specifically mentioned the zero year by name. Right, yes. And that that seemed kind of odd. So it's, yes. it, it kind of now makes me a little more interested in what exactly zero year is. Yeah. Again, I hated that we got a different artist halfway through and it's just bloop. No kind of explanation why. There's, mm-hmm. there's not much like it, it, it says the end of the chapter essentially of the first one, but it doesn't say the start of the other one. It just, it feels like it's supposed to be a story that keeps going, but it, it really isn't. And I didn't like the second part of the story. It was, it was okay written. with it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's okay. So that's it for me. All right. So for this week's new releases from Marvel, we have another Age of Ultron with number six, Astonishing X-Men number 61, Cable and X-Force number seven, Captain America number six, Captain Marvel number 12, Daredevil End of Days number seven, Dark Avengers number 189, Iron Man number eight, Nova number three, Superior Spider-Man number eight, Ultimate Wolverine number three, Venom number 34, Wolverine and the X-Men number 27 AU, X-Factor number 254, and X-Men Legacy number nine. You know what? I've been reading a lot more of the Ultron stuff kind of thing, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really not digging it. It's, it's starting to worth it, and actually I'm finding. Same thing like with the, 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 the X-Men stuff. It's taking way too long to get where it's going. Yeah. All right, DC this week. Um, we have Justice League 19, as well as Red Hood and the Outlaws and Wonder Woman. The only reason I put Red Hood and the Outlaws there is I read issue 18, and now I actually enjoyed it too, and I want to know what Didn't happened. Didn't I tell next. you? That was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> and from the rest of the guys this week, IDW brings us a pretty sizable list with Doctor Who number eight, Doctor Who Prisoners of Time number four, Ghostbusters number three, Godzilla number 11, and Transformers Robots in Disguise number 16. From Image this week, we have Chew number 33, Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray number two, which we're actually talking about issue one in a couple weeks, and Mara number four. And then from Oni Press, we have The Sixth Gun number 30, as well as Sons of the Gun number three. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And until next week, thanks for listening. Next week would be awesome. <laughs> they know why. <laughs> they only put up with you every four episodes. <laughs> yeah. It's just, just waiting, huh? <laughs> It's like how you put up with the whole week waiting until Saturday. Basically, yeah. <laughs>